All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, we are back with another great guest here on the Crypto 101 podcast. And man, oh man, has it been a barn burner of a first few months here in uh, in 2021. Uh, things have been pretty crazy, Pete. I mean, like, you know, we're, we're trading these markets every day, pretty much every token under the sun. Uh what do you, what are your thoughts right now, high level on where this market is going? And you know, we're we're recording this. It is March second, but Pete's. What are you thinking? What are some projections? I actually think uh, we're going to need to calm down a little bit. Every single indicator is just saying we're skyrocketing to the moon. We're never coming back, and usually <laughs> that brings me to some pause. But my head's a little cloudy. I'm a little under the weather. I'm a little <laughs> sniffly. I don't know if I'm allergic to pollen that's now coming up in Texas or allergic to bullshit on Twitter, but when (laughs) times are uncertain, we turn to what we know we can trust. So we've got with us on the show today, Dean Steinbeck from Horizon Labs, our good friends over at Horizon that we know are going in the right direction. Dean, welcome to Crypto 101. Hey, thank you guys. Happy to be here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, as you guys know, Pete's just moved to Texas, um, so he so he's loving it over there. Uh, so shout out to all the all of our uh, good citizens of Crypt Nation that are in Texas. Uh, Dean, where I mean, so where are you based out of, or where, where are you calling in from today? Yeah, so I live in Panama City, Panama. Uh, I've been here for yeah almost nine years, uh, and before that, I was in Uruguay which is a little country in South America nestled between Brazil and Argentina. Hablas Espanol. Si, yo puedo hablar Espanol un poquito. 
Un poquito. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, what brought you down to Panama? I don't think we've ever, I don't think any guests we've, we've ever spoken to have been calling in from Panama. Yeah, so not a like real active uh, crypto environment here. Um, there used to be, I think, a, a more vibrant scene. Um, but uh, I, I actually, so my wife is Colombian. And uh, so I guess in the end it was for a girl. But uh, <laughs> yes, her, her family is uh, from Bogota and Los Angeles. I grew up in Los Angeles. So this was uh, a really good place for us in terms of uh, convenience and in terms of visiting family and getting things done. And it's also a pretty awesome place to live. I'm not sure if you've ever visited, but it's uh, kind of like a mini Miami, but uh, mm. at a fraction of the cost. I love it. That, that sounds fascinating and, and really beautiful. I'll be uh, hopefully traveling to some tropical areas within the next few months. But until then, it's just a whole lot of work. And you guys have been doing a ton of work. I mean, rolling out product after product after product over there. Um, but and, and for, 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 for listeners, we've, we've recorded several episodes uh, with other members here of the Horizon Labs team um, that focus on the blockchain components and that focuses on the technological aspects of cryptocurrency. The, the conversation that I'm going to be having today with Dean uh, and Pizza Mind as well, it's actually going to focus a little bit more on the regulatory side, a little bit more on you know the economic relief plan and, and how that might interact with with the uh, with the crypto ecosystem. So if you guys are interested in learning about the technology, uh, check out some of those earlier episodes. But I encourage you guys to to absolutely stick around because this one is going to be uh, I think even you know even you know just as exciting as the tech. So, uh, Pete, how does that sound to you, buddy? It sounds great. Uh- it's not often we have someone come on the show with a legal background like Dean who can give us an educated opinion and some insights into that side of the world. So very excited. Take the and, wheel. And Dean, you actually tell us about your background. Catch us up. Uh, I, I know you started out with the Horizon team uh, as the chief legal officer or the general counsel. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. So I... Uh... My background is uh, I'm a lawyer, so an intellectual law, intellectual property lawyer with a corporate background. Started uh, sort of very traditional, working for a large multinational firm called Latham and Watkins, and eventually uh, spun off my own shop, representing technology startups. And I was uh, I, I had worked my way through the ropes as a lawyer and was general counsel for um, the largest clinical communication platform in the U.S. in the healthcare market. Um, when I got the crypto bug and 2017, and I actually uh, had the pleasure of seeing Rob Viglione, the co-founder of Horizon, giving a presentation. And it was just like, you know, instantly I fell in love with Horizon and, and what we were doing and uh, everything that it represented. Um, I think like a lot of people. And very shortly thereafter, I had left my sort of cushy traditional corporate job and uh, joined Horizon as general counsel. Um, and then uh, about a year later, we spun off uh, a for-profit called Horizon Labs, where I am COO. So today I'm COO at Horizon Labs and um, very much in the, uh, still in the legal space, but also in the uh, business development and the ecosystem building that we're currently doing. 
Awesome. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of bust things open with a pretty open-ended question. Have you kind of steer the, steer the discussion, but at a high level, what are the things, the themes maybe that you've been paying attention to here in, in 2021? Okay. 2021. So that, that's uh, just the first quarter of this year. So from a legal, from a legal standpoint, yeah, from a legal and regulatory perspective, I think what's unique about Q1 2021 is we have a new administration in the U.S., and so all of the major regulatory offices are being filled by new people, or many of them are being filled by new people. Um, and the question in sort of hashtag crypto lawyer world is, what will the impact be uh, from these new from these new regulators? And I think we're still. It's going to take some time for everybody to to know, but I think you know upon sort of first glance, what we're seeing is more crypto friendly and more crypto savvy individuals being put into positions of power. Um, So if you just compare, you know, people at the SEC or CFTC uh, today with their counterparts from four or five years ago, you'll see, you know, a noticeable difference in terms of their crypto backgrounds um, and how familiar they are with the space. And so overall, I'd say everything trends in a positive manner, uh, Q1 2021. But that's not to say that we're not going to continue to have some friction with regulatory bodies in the US. I think that, um, and we can go into that on, on, on this podcast, but I think we're going to sort of see a continuation of what we've seen in years past, which is, you know, the SEC taking action against uh, projects in um, sort of an arbitrary way, I would say, uh, and at times feels unfair. Um, And I think we're going to see that transition from ICOs to DeFi. uh, And what, how is DeFi, how does DeFi fit into the current regulatory framework. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many different things to unpack here, so many different avenues we can go. But I, I do want to zoom out uh, because we, we always have to re- recontextualize the conversation. This is Crypto 101. This is the very first podcast that somebody's listening to. They th- hear about crypto from their buddy. They pick up the podcast. They type in crypto. Crypto 101 comes up first. So they're hitting this link. So who, you know, people don't know cryptocurrencies. People don't know how to regulate it. The SEC calls some securities. IRS calls it property. FINRA calls it money. You know, everybody wants a little piece of the regulatory pie here. Um, And new people just get confused because they think, well, is it a stock? Is it, you know, why can't I trade it with my broker? So can just for, for, for newer people, can you kind of tell us like, what is the classification of a cryptocurrency? Is that something that people are really struggling with? Is it, and and what are the different um, kind of areas that affect how it's classified? Is it the issuance is it uh, the way that, you know, different, you know, what are the aspects that we, we need to weigh here? Yeah, so great questions, Bryce. And, and I guess, so taking a step back for people who are new to the industry, it can be very confusing uh, to define what is cryptocurrency from a legal and regulatory perspective. Um, and the reason why it's unclear is because we have so many conflicting 
uh, results and answers. And different regulatory agencies seem to treat cryptocurrency in different ways, each one looking at it through the lens of their particular regulatory framework. So the SEC looks at cryptocurrencies through the framework of a security and does the, the token represent a security? Um, and you know there, there's an entire framework that's uh, been followed by the SEC since the early 1900s for determining what is a security. And I think to date, you know, we've been, most of the people who have been uh, issuing tokens have been very aware of how the SEC views cryptocurrency and whether or not it qualifies as a security. But there's also the CFTC, which regulates commodities. You have uh, just a host of different regulatory bodies that are making determinations as to whether cryptocurrency is money or is not money. Does cryptocurrency fall within the framework of a uh, money services business? That was a big buzzword, you know, three years ago, four years ago. People were being actually imprisoned for facilitating trades in Bitcoin, uh, buying and selling of Bitcoin without a money services business license. And then you have the complexity of every country has its own framework. So for us, or for me as a lawyer licensed in the US, having grown up in the US, you know, my, my lens is from that of a, of a US person and I pay close attention to US regulations. Those do differ from other countries uh, like the EU and uh, even Canada. I mean, so it is a confusing environment. And so for new entrants into crypto, I would just uh, I would just remind them that if they're confused, it's not because they don't understand crypto. It's that there hasn't been clear guidance and conformity around one particular definition about what is cryptocurrency and how will it be regulated. That's a, that's a super comprehensive answer, and that's exactly what I wanted to hear. There's a lot of nuance here, basically, and it's all jurisdictional. And there's different regulatory bodies that are trying to protect the consumers from from different from different areas. What just to put things into uh, kind of concrete terms, I just want to have one example, and it's an example that we get asked quite often, and it's about people in New York trying to buy Cardano. I don't know why this is such a big question, but they can't buy it. So that's just an example of like, people don't get why. So is there a, like, what is that sort of rationale? Um, Like maybe that's a bad example, but, or like if Coinbase isn't listing Cardano or a certain coin, what's their reasoning generally that it's not being listed? Yeah, so so in the United States, uh, exchange crypto exchanges like Coinbase or Binance US uh, or Bittrex are very sensitive to listing any token that might be considered a security by the SEC, because if they trade securities, they're subject uh, to SEC regulation as a securities exchange. And for the most part, uh, until recently, uh, none of them were regulated and licensed by the SEC. My guess, I I don't follow Coinbase particularly closely, but my guess is by now Coinbase is regulated, you know, every which way possible. So for them, it might be a little bit different. But 
Um, the, the, big an the big picture answer is if an exchange feels that a token may be considered a security by the SEC, they will not list it and they will not trade it. And uh, there's a, a project called Coin Ratings Council or Crypto Ratings Council, which actually gives a framework for exchanges to follow in terms of the regulatory risk of the SEC viewing a particular token, a security or not a security. And so many exchanges look to the CRC rating to determine whether or not a token can be listed on their site or not listed on their site. Wow. That, that's awesome. That's a great resource. So it's called Crypto Ratings Council. Actually, or, don't, or don't quote maybe? me on that. Let's see. Uh, crypto or let's see, CRC. I think it's Crypto Ratings. Yep. Looks yep. like it. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And awesome. So, so that's that's a good resource that people could could check out at home. Fantastic. You know, one of the other questions that that, that I that I that comes to mind uh, is around, and, and I don't want you to feel like you're under fire or anything with like me just like spewing out all my legal questions. But you know, I talk to a lot of people every day that are that are you know from every walk of life in in the crypto world and not the crypto world, and people always have questions about legal stuff, right? And none of this of what people are hearing is legal advice. None of it is being posed as legal advice. It's just education. And we don't really get to speak to many people with, with, with your track record. So, um, you know, <laughs> I definitely don't want you to feel like this is, but I, the travel rule, that's just a big question that a lot of people come to me. They say, how can the travel rule be applied to crypto when, when crypto like kind of lives everywhere, it never travels. And then people ask about like capital controls, uh, on on hardware wallets or, or, or phone wallets. And they're like, well, it's just a private key to uh, bits and bytes. What, what's kind of the, the logical response there? Yeah, so you're, you're touching on uh, one of those gray area issues that's really tricky and complicated. So there's a friction between uh, regulatory agencies who want to be able to track every transaction and our industry, which comes from a background and, and an origination of uh, privacy and financial freedom and liberty, which is sort of in conflict with the concept of every tran transaction being uh, tracked and monitored. Um, so there's a slight tension between what regulators would like and what our industry would like, uh, but it poses incredible questions. I, I'm already thinking of the day when, so right now when you travel internationally, you have to declare if you have cash or not in, in amounts in excess of 10,000 US dollars. I, I wouldn't be shocked if regulators say something as silly as, are you traveling with cryptocurrency in excess of $10,000? And, and I've often- <laughs> It's basically just like, say if you have $10,000 right, because worth of crypto what does it mean not? to travel with cryptocurrency. I mean, where does yeah. it live? Where is its origin? So if you have the private keys on your possession, does that mean that you're traveling with it? Um, I don't the think The crazy so. thing is, it's like, you know, I've got a wallet where I've got my 12 words that recovers the phrase. I've memorized those 12 words. So if I ever lose my wallet, then I can get it back. And I take those 12 words with me anywhere I go. Am I always carrying, you know, X amount of crypto? It, it just is. It's a crazy, crazy thing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think that you are uh, any more than I have a Wells Fargo app on my phone, which means I can access my Wells Fargo account from anywhere in the world. 
I don't think that I'm traveling with more than $10,000, even though I have access to my bank account. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, I, these are the sort of uh, <laughs> imaginations I've had to myself as I'm flying and, and just waiting one day for, for a, one agent to ask me, are you traveling with cryptocurrency in excess of <laughs> And you're, you're getting ready with your, your, your exact response. <laughs> yeah. and, and, I recently <laughs> had that happen to me when I came back from Brazil. I always stopped, you know, there's like three or four layers of questioning you have to go through now after customs where random agents or agencies will stop you and ask you questions. They asked me what I did for a living and asked what I did for a living again and wanted more details. And I said, you know, I'm a crypto educator. And they said, were you traveling with cryptocurrency on you? Did you bring your hardware wallet? And I said, no, of course I would not bring my hardware wallet. And then they kind of joked about Dogecoin for a little while and I thought, man, there's a cop asking me about Dogecoin at the airport. It's time to sell it all. <laughs> the top is in. <laughs> but, you know, I'm th I really thought about it. And I said, well, it's like traveling with my house keys. If the IRS considers crypto property, you know, how can I, you know, be in trouble if I'm just carrying the keys to my house or my car? It wouldn't make any sense. But yeah. there's another thing that I've always wondered, and we're starting to see it pop up more and more. You know, there's so many new acronyms to learn in the financial world. And one of them is FATF, FATF, the mm. Financial Action Task Force. Who are these guys? From what country are they from? What armor do they have that can enforce their ideas about what we can and can't do? Yeah, so great question. Um, and uh, if we have time at one point, I, I'll tell you a story uh, about what happened to me when I was crossing from Italy into Switzerland, and uh, very interesting, very similar to, to your story only, uh, not crypto, but cash and gold related and, and sort of a subject to very intense searches. But um, to answer your question, so um, FATF, so FATF is an international organization, and it's one of those, um, I'm going to describe them as a quote unquote do-gooder organization. I Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done know that they wouldn't particularly like that label, um, but it's uh, an institution um, that is put in place to help form regulations around money transfer, international banking. Uh, they're concerned with issues like money laundering and you know tax evasion um, and whatever the uh, current fear or, or buzzword is at the moment to be able to get their regulations intact. In, in some, they're an organization that seeks to bring transparency to banking and financial institutions. And so um, although they don't have the power of law per se, they have the ability to make recommendations that are in fact followed by almost every regulatory agency. So what they determine uh, is a recommended approach typically becomes law and becomes followed by uh, financial institutions. So in this particular case, what you're referring to 
is a uh, request to start tracking more and more crypto transactions of smaller and smaller sizes. And again, the logic, and we touched upon it a little bit before, is we, the government, you know, or they, the government uh, would like to be able to track and monitor every transaction. Um, and so they're, they're simply making the size of each transaction that needs to be reported smaller and smaller. Um, and the effect of this is just to place a real administrative burden on exchanges that support cryptocurrencies. And you know, you, if you've spoken to, as I believe you have, uh, exchanges and centralized exchanges, you'll hear from them the cost that it takes to actually comply with these rules are substantial. And so that cost is ultimately borne by consumers. So it, it's having a, a real negative impact from the perspective of economics, and uh, you know the ease with which we can transfer cryptocurrency. And on the flip side, from their perspective, it's bringing transparency to the financial markets. Yeah, and I think it's a pro it's actually a good time to segue, just take a brief little segue to Horizon Labs and some of the ethos and philosophy about what you subscribe to, um, essentially, and, and, and how you guys build your company and with that that ethos. So tell us about it. And because I've noticed you, you, you've talked a lot about financial transparency and privacy. And then also just me knowing Horizon uh, and Rob, it's all about, you know, cypherpunk ideals and, uh, you know, privacy and, you know, self-sovereign identity. So, so let's dive into a little bit of that. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, so our ethos, so we started in 2017 as a fork of Zcash. Um, and our ethos, which comes directly from Rob and Rolf, who, who you know very well, is libertarian, um, privacy, self-sovereign. And that's the reason why you know, they got into crypto. It's the reason why I got into crypto. Very, I'm a very strong advocate of uh, privacy, personal privacy. And, and you know, I've written articles about it. I just think it's so important. All of our freedoms really depend on privacy. Um, and again, to be clear, it's privacy for, per, for personal freedom, not privacy for nefarious uh, activities. And I think what often happens is privacy is smeared by people who think that the only people who want privacy are bad actors. Um, and it's just simply not true. I mean, there are so many important use cases for privacy. Um, anyone with a Facebook account knows how important it is. I come from the U.S. healthcare environment, um, and you know there are laws that put uh, healthcare information providers under strict compliance with data privacy. So I knew from from the beginning that data privacy is not just a fundamental right, but a really key component to uh, user adoption, both on the individual side and on the corporate side. So yeah, so our ethos is, you know, now we, although we started as a fork from Zcash, we've really grown and we consider our project to be leaders in data integrity and privacy. Um, so we have built a permissionless and decentralized blockchain ecosystem that lets third parties launch their own chain and really do, do what they want with their chain. There's, there's lots of different use cases. Um, right now, the most popular use case is utilizing our zero-knowledge cryptography in order to verify data 
in a way that doesn't require users to expose that data. So I can go into that in, in a little more technical uh, level if you'd like, but um, at a high level, we focus on data integrity and privacy. Yeah, and so it, so it's um, it's basically like if I were to have an analogy, um, I think of it like a platform basically for other people to build applications on top of where the applications are not um, kind of like monetizing the customers and like taking their data and selling it to advertisers and everything. It's, it, it's, it's now, you know, cause everybody knows like, you know, Facebook, right? Facebook, you use the platform for free, but you're the product. Um, and they know everything, every message you've ever sent, like somebody with some sort of authenticated permissions at Facebook, again, it'd be breaking the law, but somebody could do it. They could get all your personal information. They could expose that and hackers do it all the time. And so on a platform like Horizon, there's private, there's you know like end-to-end -end encryption. It's really a a, uh, a platform that's owned by the the stakeholders, by the people that are using the platform. So so I think it, it's really really cool. And so I think beyond you know since you are the chief operating officer of Horizon Labs, something that I'd like to focus on uh, for a little bit here before we kind of end the end the conversation on the legal side is. I mean, 2020 was a madhouse of a year. And I, I'm sure you guys learned some, some business principles, whether you, you had plans that you had to put on hold. Uh, I'm sure there were some changes or a pivot. So let's talk about how you, as you, know, you were steering the operations of a massive, massive project, uh, what, what was going through your mind? Yeah, so it was a challenge. I mean, we were in a crypto winter for... Uh, a long time. It felt like forever. I'm not yeah, sure how long a, it actually. A wild bear market. Qualified. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a long time, um, and it was frustrating because you know we have so many exciting things that we want to get done, um, and then to not necessarily have the resources to to execute on what you want to do is challenging. Um, and so, yeah, we we basically continued with our path, but we just had to be very. Uh, aware of what we were doing. We couldn't expand as rapidly as we wanted to. And we had to be judicious with how we um, spent funds. Uh, one thing, ironically, that, that helped us was uh, with COVID came uh, no more travel and no more conferences. And so we actually saw some savings from uh, everybody working remote and not traveling and, and things of that nature. But it was a challenge. And um, you know, I didn't realize how difficult it was until now, as the market turned, and now we're in a bull market, and uh, all of a sudden things are very different. And now we're expanding, we're we're adding a new office in New York, we're adding team members, and so um, 2020 was challenging, and and 2021 uh, is a very pleasant relief and we're very excited about it. Yeah, it's really crazy. I mean, how quickly things can shift from, um, you know, bear market to, I mean, really the first half of 2020, right? January uh, in February, if I remember correctly, you know, the market was trading pretty hot in 2020 and then, you know, March. And so we were thinking, oh man, we're out of the, I was calling, Hey, the bear market's done guys. This is a pretty clear road ahead. And then we get what I like to call the backbreaker, which is the, the final just dagger of like, oh my God, now it's another 50% drawdown. How many more of these can you endure? And that was the final, you know, kind of capitulative bottom there in March on the, on the COVID wins, but I liked what you said. And I kind of wanted to focus on the growth 
that you got, you know, you're coming from a very protective sort of business cycle into a growth business cycle. And that's what, you know, it's a huge driver of the bull market is when you have, you know, capital expenditures that are going into to growing the teams that are growing the protocols, which then grow the actual prices of the underlying, you know, way down the line. But it, it all starts with the growth uh, of the team. So so I'd love to yeah hear a little bit more about how you're kind of planning on, on growing, like at what speed can we expect it? Um, at what scale? Um, I know you said New York office. Uh, talk maybe a little bit about that. It, yeah, so so we have roughly forty employees, uh, and um, we've been you know steady there for the last year. Uh, and we're we we really our our core engineering team is located in Milan, Italy. We've always wanted to uh, have a sister office in the U.S. Um, our headquarters is in Austin, Texas. Um, but we're just finding that there's so many synergies to being in New York in terms of uh, developer talent and uh, particularly developers who have cryptocurrency experience and blockchain experience that, um, yeah, we, we've made the, the move. We're, we're hiring our first guy shortly who, who will lead the office. He'll be uh, running our product engineering team out of the New York office and just we will grow slowly. I mean, we're still very cautious. I feel like, you know, when you endure lots of ups and downs, you, you kind of get shell shocked. <laughs> yes. And so we'll, we'll probably expand slower than controlled. You know, people from the outside might say, yeah, controlled. We'll, we'll grow in a controlled way um, that might feel or, or appear overly conservative to outside uh, parties. But for anyone who you know has endured the ups and downs of crypto, you'll understand very well why we're doing it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that's probably the right move. Uh, this volatility. I mean, if you're not, I mean, if you're over leveraged, and we see it time and time again, um, and leverage is a way to compress time. And so, if you're over leveraged in a sense, I mean, whether you're a trader or a business builder, uh, you're just going to get slammed when the markets kind of you know have that inevitable you know three four month dip or that you know eventual bear market. But but one of the things I wanted to um, kind of just have a good laugh of not a laugh about, but it's uh, it's just kind of ironic is that like you really know you're in a bull market when the exchanges stop allowing people to sign up. Like uh, that's been a big problem uh, when, when, you know, Coinbase is like, Oh, it's going to take, you know, weeks to get you verified and, you know, Bittrex and, you know, Binance and all this stuff. And so that's one thing. And then uh, you always know you're in a bull market when the support tickets, you know, you can't get answers for weeks because everybody's like sending in support tickets. So, you know, and then, you know, of course, scaling up the servers. That's the third thing is that you know, we've seen, you know, Coinbase and Binance both go down several times uh, in December and in January, a couple times in February. So it's it just funny to see that. But uh, the, the point of the kind of long-winded question here is what sort of, um, you know, scaling problems in the bull market ha has Horizon maybe seen? Because you know, Ethereum has, you know, extremely high gas fees. Has there been anything, any similar anecdotes like that? No, you know, so for us, we're actually uh, the recipient of some benefits from the Ethereum, from the Ethereum network's high gas problem. Uh, because as you mentioned, so we are a blockchain platform that has privacy enabled features. Um, and so what we're seeing is actually a lot of third party developers who were planning to build in the Ethereum ecosystem, looking at us and um, 
thinking, hey, you know, we can do what we were going to do in Ethereum. We can do it here uh, with zero knowledge encryption that adds privacy. And so for us, you know, some of the scaling issues that um, has come to light with the explosion of decentralized finance or DeFi um, has been really good for ancillary projects like Horizon. And, and obviously there are many others. Um, but so for us, I, there's been no negatives to the boom. I'm very excited and very happy to have it. Good stuff. Good stuff. That that makes sense. And uh, I, I've heard, you know, a lot of people, developers that I know that have like been developing on um, Ethereum and been have it have been able to make the switch over to Horizon pretty easily. Um, so good on you guys for making that switch um, or that port pretty easily. Um, I want to I want to hop back over for the few. You know, I think we've got about five minutes left here. Um, I, I'd love to take a look at the the future here for the SEC. Um, and how do you think that potential new highs? I know we got Gary Gensler in there. I think Hester Pierce, who's crypto mom, uh, you know, she's a, she's a big crypto advocate. She's still in there. But, you know, how are potential new hires going to be uh, maybe affecting the connotation of crypto uh, amongst the institutions and the big banks, positive or negative? No, I think positive. So what we're seeing, and and again, I, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, that, Joe Biden did anything special. I think it's just that as we move along this path of more and more adoption of cryptocurrency, um, and as it becomes more and more familiar to regulators and financial institutions, you're seeing, as as I mentioned before, more savvy uh, crypto individuals who are in places of power within the SEC or the CFTC. So I think overall, what we're going to see is more intelligent regulation, slowly, but surely it's not slowly perfect, (laughs) slow, slow, slow. But um, I think we're going to see better and better regulation as these uh, entities understand our industry better. And so, like I said, I I think we're going to see overall more institutional adoption. I think the regulations that, that are going to come out in 2021 and 2022 are really going to be focused on what do institutions need to do to be to onboard themselves and their customers into crypto. So you're going to see focuses on, you know, uh, what does it mean to be a qualified custodian? How do how does an institution become a qualified custodian? How do banks offer this to their customers? How do uh, uh, broker dealers offer this to their customers? I think we're in the very early stages of institutional adoption. And we're seeing large companies start to dip their toes into the water by taking a small percentage of their corporate treasuries and buying Bitcoin. And uh, you can see the effect it's had. And it's having a trickle effect as more and more companies start to do this, more and more other companies start to inquire about doing it themselves. And so I think we're just in the very beginning of, of institutional adoption and the regulations that follow will make it easier and clearer for those institutions to do so. You know, not not to be too long-winded here, but uh, there are a lot of uh, questions that institutions have that have yet to be worked out from the regulatory perspective in terms of accounting. How do do they account for particular crypto transactions? So all the confusion that we as users have with respect to is it a is it a virtual currency? Is it money? Is it a security? Multiply by a thousand. Um, large, 
those yeah, guys. They, they have uh, really nuanced questions about um, if it's property, is it subject to, and then they'll go into a particular area of the tax code. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of details to be worked out for institutional adoption that will take many years. Um, so that's what we should really expect in, in the coming, in 2021 and 2022, and even, you know, the few years going yeah. on. Definitely. Lots of uh, regulatory improvements and changes that, that we can expect. And um, there, there's one last thing that I, that I actually wanted to ask you here while, while we had you, and it has to do with um, the economic relief plan. Um, and, and, you know, it's a question, again, we get asked a lot, like, is a stimulus check good for Bitcoin? Generally speaking, yes, because, you know, it dilutes kind of, you know, the, the value of the dollar over time, as well as uh, just gets more money in the market to be invested and stimulate prices, right? Bye. But but are there any other kind of uh, areas of this economic relief plan that, that, that you're looking at? No, to be honest, no, is, is the high level answer. I mean, so I, all of my opinions about the economic relief plan are exactly the same mm-hmm. as yours. More printing, bullish for crypto, um, exposes the population to the reality that US dollars can be printed in seemingly limitless quantities. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that makes people think, okay, uh, there has to be an alternative. One day, the system can't sustain itself. Um, and so you're seeing more and more people turn to Bitcoin in particular, but other cryptocurrencies as well, um, as a sort of relief from the, the endless printing that the U.S. government does. Yeah. Um, so I look at it as a bullish thing for our industry. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I look at it as a negative uh, trend for the U.S. You know, in general, um, just because the system itself seems uh, seems unsustainable. But we are where we are, and, and in terms of uh, you know what it means for crypto, uh, very bullish. I actually have many friends who are not in the industry who have called me uh, and said, oh yeah, I, you know, this printing scares me. How do I buy Bitcoin? So I'm actually seeing anecdotally all of my successful friends uh, who have money moving their money from cash into Bitcoin. Um, So that's a super bullish trend, obviously. And, and, you know, that has a trickle effect on all of uh, the cryptocurrencies because Although the majority are entering Bitcoin, many are then diversifying into Ethereum, Polkadot, and then you could just go down the line and we're seeing the entire market uh, uh, reap the benefits of a bull market. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I'm seeing the same same things from my angle. Um, all right. Hey, is there anything that we missed? Um, any you know exciting announcements or, or, or plugs, calls to action uh, for the Horizon Labs and Horizon team? Yeah, um, so we we have some awesome announcements. I'd encourage everyone who's listening to this to, to visit us, uh, uh, horizon.io, um, and uh, check it out and join our community, uh, join our Discord, uh, follow us on Twitter, and see if we're a good fit for, for, for you. All right, perfect. An amazing announcement that came off the wire today, and that's uh, Horizon partnering with IOTA to use IOTA's oracles. Wow. So that's, that's right. really, really cool. Yeah, no, we, we've uh, actually partnered with several, uh, you know, top 50 projects. Uh, really excited. So IOTA and Celsius have, have been announced. Uh, Celsius is 
the largest or second largest uh, crypto bank, I'm putting that in quotes, crypto bank in the industry. Uh, really amazing platform if, if your viewers aren't familiar with it. But yeah, it's we've a had Alex on several times. We love him. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. Um, yeah, so we've partnered with Celsius. We've partnered with IOTA. We have a few more that we're going to be announcing uh, over the next couple months. But really excited about today's announcement with IOTA. They're an amazing team, an amazing project, and, and really excited that partnering to to bring their oracle services into our ecosystem into the horizon ecosystem and available for all of the developers who are building in our ecosystem beautiful all right well dean thank you so much for staying overtime with us today here on the crypto 101 podcast there was a ton to talk about we checked it all off the list and uh we'll keep you guys uh, everybody who's at home listening gonna keep you posted on the horizon ecosystem as always uh, and Dean, we welcome you back whenever uh, whenever you guys got more stuff to say. Hey, really appreciate it. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks, guys. You bet. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.